Welcome back to The Bulwark Goes to Hollywood. My name is Sonny Bunch. I'm culture editor at The Bulwark. Uh, and I'm very pleased to be joined today by Nick DeSemlian, uh, who is the author of The Last Action Heroes. It's a great new book about the uh, the movie stars of the 1980s we all uh, grew up watching and loving uh, in theaters. Uh, and is also the uh, editor at Empire Magazine, a great, great magazine uh, over in England. I love having uh, the Brits on because they class up the joint with their accents. Thank you uh, for being on the show today, Nick. I really appreciate it. Thanks for having me on. I'm actually uh, American as well. I got dual nationality, so bring in the British accent, but do have an American passport as well. Oh, look at that! Great, the best of both worlds. Uh, so here, uh, here we are to talk about the last action heroes, uh, which I've read and quite enjoyed. Uh, loved it a lot. Um, again, there's there's a certain nostalgia factor here for me and many of the other folks who are reading this. Um, but it it is super. It's super interesting. And one thing I want to key on just right at the beginning. Uh, is something something that I also picked up in um, uh, Quentin Tarantino's book, Cinema Speculation. He writes about, uh, in his book, how Rocky uh, kind of reinvigorated the nation. There was It was after a bunch of years of kind of like dark, downbeat stuff. You have Rocky come out, and it's just kind of upbeat and, and fun. And um, even if it, you know, uh, even if Rocky doesn't win at the end, it still, you know, gives people something to cheer for. That's something you key on as well. How 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 did Rocky help inaugurate the shift that we see in this book from kind of downbeat, you know, uh, decline um, sort of movies to like, hey, rah, rah, action, big heroes, big biceps, big guns. Yeah, it's it's interesting because you look at the films that Rocky was up against at the Oscars and they're all that kind of 70s downbeat. It's uh, like Network, Taxi Driver. Um, Carrie, you know, none of these are like particularly cheerful movies that will have you punch in the air like Rocky does. So I think it's really interesting. Like when I was figuring out where to start the book, Rocky, even though it's not like a traditional action movie, hasn't he doesn't pick up a gun, um, unlike most of the movies I cover in the book, but it just felt like the start of the one-man army genre in a way, even though he's a boxer, because uh, it just has that, that 80s feeling of optimism, even though it, it out of the Rocky films, it's the one that doesn't have the conventionally happy ending. Um, he doesn't like win the fight, but he does win in a way. But yeah, it, it, the seventies um, was obviously like a really difficult, turbulent time in America, and a lot of bad things going on, and a lot of uncertainty, and and you saw that reflected in the movies, obviously uh, with a lot of heroes who were very compromised and usually end up losing. And then Rocky came along and bucked that trend, and people really responded to it. So it is the kind of the marking point between the two things. It feels you know, half like a 70s movie and half like an 80s movie, if that's not oversimplifying it. Yeah, no, I totally. I mean, I think you can create a pretty clear dividing line um, right there and right at right at the beginning, right, right when Rocky hits um, at the start there, you have the uh, and you and you write about this in the book, you 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 see the start of the um, uh, competition between Sylvester Stallone and Schwarzenegger. They're they're seated at the, I believe, the same table at the Emmys. Was it or uh, Golden Globes? Golden Globes. Yeah, the Golden Globes. Yeah, the Golden Globes, where they're, uh, you know, they're they're uh, kind of eyeballing each other. What what was happening there? Well, it's kind of an amazing story. So Stallone was up for an award. He didn't get the Oscar. He he wasn't happy about it, according to the people I spoke to, um, and he didn't get the Golden Globe. Uh, Rocky, um, you know, didn't do as well as he hoped that night. And then he had this this Austrian guy Arnold Schwarzenegger who um, had just started, and he was up for um, 
a Best Newcomer, which he won. And um, Stallone took ill to that. And apparently, according to Stallone, I haven't been able to find anyone else to kind of verify it outside of that table of people. But apparently he picked up a flower pot and lobbed it at Schwarzenegger's head. And um, the mind boggles. I wish there was video of that happening because that sounds absolutely insane. But apparently that, that was their first ever encounter. Yeah. I, I mean, it's funny. We have days long conversations about whether or not uh, Harry Styles spit on Chris Pine. And yet here we have, you know, the 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 uh, the two great action stars of the 1980s chucking pottery at each other. It's it's uh, wonderful. Um, let's let's talk. All right. So so we have the we have the rocky end of things. He comes in um, with with uh, or Stallone comes in with Rocky uh, and then and then shifts to Rambo, which we can talk about here in a second. But then you you do have the Schwarzenegger side of things, who is also um, uh, doing some interesting stuff here. And, you know, the the first I mean, obviously, there's the Hercules movie, there's Pumping Iron. Uh, but the first real big hit, the thing that kind of puts him on the radar for lots of folks is uh, Conan the Barbarian. Um he almost got fired from that movie, did he not? Well, uh, Dino De Laurentiis uh, was the producer, and apparently their their first encounter went very badly. There was no flower pots thrown at anyone, but apparently Schwarzenegger came in and made fun of his desk. And he, Dino De Laurentiis was quite a little guy, and Schwarzenegger said something like, "You know, it's such a tiny guy like you got such a huge desk." And apparently, the meeting lasted under a minute. So um, Dino De Laurentiis, De Laurentiis did not want Schwarzenegger to play Conan, but um, you know, and they did look at other people. Christopher Lambert, apparently they, they had various meetings with, uh, which is interesting, um, the Highlander himself. But no, they, um, they, eventually he, he did end up in the movie, obviously, and there was something about it that worked. There were a lot of movies that didn't work for Schwarzenegger. You know, Hercules in New York, which was his first ever movie, is absolutely abysmal. I think everyone involved would tell you that. Um, but there was something about Conan, and it's so pumped up and, and ludicrous in the mythology, and it kind of takes itself seriously in a way. And yeah, that was the movie that connected for him. But it took a long time for Schwarzenegger and for Stallone for the that big breakthrough movie to come along. It really is the perfect melding of star material and director. I mean, you know, John Milius, uh, of course, is well known as a uh, colorful personality. He's got a big, he's got a big, uh, you know, um, uh, sense of 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 himself and and of the the stuff he's working on here but it really is it it it's uh it is the perfect it is the idea of this 1980s action star kind of boiled down to its essence right big guy big muscles mm. big sword big body count like that is that is basically the template for everything going forward yeah Big snakes as well. Yeah, everything Big in that snake. movie is just excessive. And it hadn't got to the, you know, it, it obviously with, with Arnold, it got to a point where everything was a bit tongue-in-cheek with him. But it's interesting watching Conan because it does take itself very seriously. Um, you know, John Milius, when I interviewed him for the book, he called himself a real-life barbarian. You know, he was he was taking this subject matter very, very seriously. There was nothing kind of campy or comic booky for him about it. Um, so, yeah, it's and, and it remains completely iconic and it's a very strange film and they couldn't replicate it with the second one the kind of the destroyer leaned much more into the kind of the campy campy direction it doesn't work there's something about the barbarian that just it believes in it's a film that believes in what it's doing and yeah um, it's still pretty potent yeah it 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 holds up i think i mean it it's dated in the ways that any movie with special effects from the early 1980s is going to be dated but it does have that that real vibrant um, you know, sense of life to it. 
can we can we talk a little bit about sources? I, I was just curious because I I, uh, I as I said I read the whole book um, and uh, but I did not read the the sourcing at the end, which is always a mistake. So uh, can we can we talk about who who you talked to for the for the book and who uh, of the like main the the main character so to speak uh, who who you were able to get on the phone or on Zoom uh, and chat with? Yeah, well, I, uh, some of the material is from uh, from over the years at Empire people I've been fortunate enough to meet. Actually, seven out of the eight main characters I've been able to spend time with and interview. Stallone is the only one I haven't actually spoken to, but um, Schwarzenegger I've I've spoken to a few times. Uh, Chuck Norris I I got to fly to Austin and spend a very strange weekend with him <laughs> a bunch of years back. Uh, Jackie Chan. Um, went out and met him in Shanghai for two days through Empire. And then Sagao and Van Damme I've spoken to on the phone. Um, so, yeah, I, and then for the book, I spoke to a lot of, um, you know, directors, writers, actors, uh, people, you know, I've spoken to James Cameron, John Milius, Paul Verhoeven, Rennie Harlan, John McTiernan, all those kind of people who were there back in the heyday making these movies. Um, um, got to speak to Oliver Stone also, who wrote the original script for Conan and hated the end result. So it's quite interesting kind of hearing him, you know, uh, having a pop at the film. Uh, he was not a fan of Dino De Laurentiis either. Well, it's it's interesting to hear some of the, the folks talk about what the final product looked like compared to what they were, what they thought they were working on. Oliver Stone, you mentioned. Also, James Cameron, I think, did a did a draft on, uh, was that Rambo 2? Um, uh, yeah. First Blood Part Two. Um, so yeah, yeah. What happened okay. there? What was that story? Because I, James Cameron in the news right now, the, the Titanic expert, uh, of course. Um, but uh, he he is of course uh, also a very well known screenwriter in uh, in in his own right. Um, so what what happened there with with uh, Rocky Two? Uh, I'm sorry, Rambo Two. Rambo Two, not Rocky. Well, he he was hired to do the script. You know, obviously, the, there's a legendary story about him meeting. Arnold for the first time for Terminator at Shatsy, I believe, is the restaurant. And they got on immediately and they clicked and obviously had this amazing collaboration together. Uh, he had a similar lunch with Stallone, but it's fair to say the two of them did not click. And Stallone, you know, it seems to be a, it's a recurring theme in all the directors and writers I spoke to who worked with Stallone, where he would come into a project and he would just basically take over and wanted control of everything. And so, you know, Cameron wrote the script. It's online. You can read it. It's... um. It's it's pretty good actually, but Stallone, um, yeah, came in and kind of muscled him out the way. And um, Cameron has talked about that not being a, a good a good collaboration for him, and he did not like the final film. He thought it was way too violent, um, way too many, uh, you know, just gun porn basically. Um, but yeah, it's 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 an interesting thought. Like what what you know, what would the Terminator have been like if if Stallone had ended up in that? But um, yeah, they it was not to be. They did not get on. Yeah. Uh, the, the, uh, one of, one of the kind of running undercurrents of the book, I wouldn't, I wouldn't say it's, uh, a, you know, necessarily a theme exactly, but it is a running undercurrent of the story here is the, um, the collision of this big screen, uh, I identity persona, uh, that Hollywood is putting out there. Um, and also the kind of co-opting of that by Reagan, right? The 1980s Republicans, you've got this, you know, Reagan is hanging out with Sylvester Stallone, uh, friendly with Arnold Schwarzenegger. Uh, and and there is this kind of sense of like Reagan's America is is Rambo's America, is is the 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 America of uh, Predator and Commando and, and that sort of stuff. 
how did that uh, how how did you when you were writing the book how did you kind of want to balance those ideas because again it's not there's there's a version of this book that is a kind of haranguing like can you believe how this happened that is not this book and i i kind of appreciate that frankly well, yeah, it's a case of striking a balance because i'm you know it, it's some of these films are great and they're masterpieces and they're worth rewatching and some of them are absolute trash and have frankly you know very dubious politics and so it's a case of threading your way through that material and and hopefully i tried to do that with the book you know i didn't want to write a book that was dismissing all of these films as as trash um you know there's a good chance that they made the world a more violent place by glorifying guns and and all the rest of it but um there's also a lot of these films are really um ingenious and well written and 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 you know worth celebrating so um you know definitely the politics is a really interesting thing and and I wanted each chapter to do a slightly different thing and uh, uh, there's a chapter around the middle of the book which kind of deals with the the Reagan stuff which I think is fascinating like you said you know, his friendship with Stallone is so strange like can't think of another example where um you had this A-list Hollywood star being that chummy with the American president and Reagan calling Stallone while he was making Rambo free and Stallone is wearing his Rambo outfit and he's got Reagan calling him and they're talking about foreign policy while Rambo is like mowing down Russians. And yeah, like you said, um, a lot of these films feel like American foreign policy or like the fantasy of what American policy should be, or even like what America wanted to do, but couldn't quite do. Um, getting just, you know, parachuting in these these muscly guys with huge guns and and making things right, and you see that especially in the Chuck Norris um, movies. I think he was the he went the furthest with that. Yeah, um, yeah. you know, going to Vietnam and and winning, but certainly with Stallone as well. I think these kind of right leaning, more conservative stars were definitely looking at the headlines and thinking, right, what what can we make right on screen? And it's kind of yeah. funny looking at like Stallone in the late eighties trying to figure out where he's going to set the next Rambo film and just li literally looking at all the war zones and thinking like, where can I go and just yeah. like kill everyone? Yeah. Uh, you mentioned Chuck Norris uh, and I, I want to talk about him a little bit more too, but, the, but in, in the context of, of this discussion about, you know, how, how it reflects the world, there's, there's this really interesting anecdote that I'd, I'd actually never heard before. I, I'm surprised I've never heard this um, uh, about uh, Invasion USA being a huge hit in Romania. That, you know, when the the, you know, when Ceausescu was overthrown, the 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 folks there were, you know, uh, inspired, at least in part, or I guess you could say Invasion USA. And like you could still go there. There's posters on the walls, that sort of thing. I mean, that's that's pretty wild. That's a that is a not something I expected necessarily. I did not know that either. Um, I, I, I interviewed, um, I believe it was James Bruner, the writer of Invasion USA, who worked with Chuck Norris a lot. And there's a lot of crossover between, you know, the writers and directors working with um, working with these stars. Uh, lots of them worked with various ones of them. But yeah, he, he talked about how that movie, which is kind of, you know, by modern standards, just xenophobic and trashy and, you know, ludicrously one-dimensional. That's the, the for anyone who hasn't seen it. That's the Chuck Norris film where you know a load of foreigners come in and and basically take over an American city, and it's just utterly ridiculous. Um, but uh, yeah, apparently inspired freedom fighters in Romania, and they they still there's a cult around these Chuck Norris films where they're inspiring people to fight for democracy. So it's you know it's it's not as simple. I don't think as saying this film is trash and this film is worthless. Like there's a lot of complexity to how the effects and influence these films have had around the world. So um, 
yeah, I try, I, I try to kind of address that in the book in the way I came at things. Norris is an interesting guy too, because he, it feels like there's, there's a, a real split between your, uh, Schwarzenegger, Stallone, even Bruce Willis to a certain extent types. Um, though he is obviously on the smaller side of just physically smaller, smaller side of things, but the, uh, and then the, uh, your, um, Chuck Norris's, Jackie Chan's, uh, Steven Seagal's, John Claude Van Damme's, who are like actual martial artists who, you know, couldn't, who, uh, you know, Chuck Norris fighting with Bruce Lee in his movies and, and holding his own, uh, like a real black belt award, award winning fighter. Um, when you're, when you were looking back at these movies, uh, and watching them for, for the book, what were, what were the splits that you saw between these, the two types of the, the two types of actors and the types of movies they made. Like you said, that there's, there's the, well, it's interesting because, um, you know, Arnold came from the world of bodybuilding. So he was into that, you know, it's a competitive sport and karate is a competitive sport. So you had these, these guys who came from the sports world and then they were trying to fit that, their skills into a narrative movie. And it's quite funny when you watch the, a bunch of Chuck Norris films because they, like, they're, they're quite clunky in the way that they try and fit the karate in. So there's one of his movies, um, oh, the name has, uh, has escaped me right the second, but one of his movies, he plays a karate teacher, I think in Chicago, who the police basically bring in because they're trying to stop a serial killer and they need a karate guy, which makes absolutely no sense. Like, just just, you know, just get someone with a gun. That's going to be more effective. But um, they, they, they build entire plots around the fact he's good at karate. Um, but yeah, the, you know... The, the the divide is really the the megastars, the Stallone and the Schwarzenegger, and, and like you said, Bruce Willis when he comes in, and then there's this second tier of people who, you know, it people now do not take as seriously um, to different degrees. Certainly, Chuck Norris has probably taken the least seriously out of all eight. You know, he's become a lot bit of a laughing stock, mm-hmm. but um, I think you know he's actually one of the nicest out of these bunch of people. Like he's it's interesting on screen. He's this invincible killing machine, but he. He's actually a lovely person, and everyone has good stories about him. To this day, that's the only interview I've done uh, where the person I'm interviewing has asked to pray before we start. I was like, <laughs> that was my Chuck Norris experience. But um, yeah, he's this very genial guy who, um, yeah, had had was selling pairs of action jeans. <laughs> yeah, no, I I have never I've I I've heard bad stories about lots of people, including most of the people in this book. But Chuck Norris is, in fact, the one guy I've never heard somebody have a crossword about. Just he's a uh, he he gets the he gets um he 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 is respected by everybody and shows respect to everybody as far as I can tell. And there's there's actually a great anecdote in your book about when uh, the time somebody tried to pick a fight with him at a bar didn't realize who he was. Could you could you just relay that anecdote for us? I think folks would like to hear it. Yeah, that was during the shooting of Walker, Texas Ranger, and Chuck Norris was sitting in a bar. This guy comes over and tells him to move, and he gets up and moves. And then a bunch of, uh, you know, the people working on the show come in and go over, and the penny drops, and the guy realizes he's just told Chuck Norris to move, and he goes over and apologizes to him, and, um, you know, asks why Chuck Norris didn't beat the crap out of him, and is just amazed that this this guy who's just famed for, you know, taking no shit from anyone is actually in real life just like, Yep, sure. He's kind of a Ned Flanders-ish kind of guy in his in his niceness. I mean, obviously, Chuck Norris's politics, not everyone agrees with. And, you know, he's he's said some questionable things um, in, in recent years. But, um, yeah, I think definitely on a personal level, he, he seems like the absolute antithesis of his screen image. Whereas you have yeah. someone like Steven Seagal, who is, is, <laughs> is just, you know, 
by all accounts, there's no difference between what you see on the screen and how he acts in real life. And um, yeah. Well, I was going to say, so, I mean, I, you know, there are a lot of people who are annoyed in your book with Sylvester Stallone, as you mentioned, who kind of comes in and, and takes over a project. But I would say that of of the the you know the sort of main characters in your book, uh, Stephen Skull is the only one who is kind of universally loathed by by folks. He does not seem to have many friends in this uh, in this industry or you know this book. No, well, I I, I did speak to um, a guy called Conrad Parmacento, who is a fan. Of, he, he he has worked with Chuck Norris a lot. He coordinates Chuck Norris's. Um, Sorry, not Chuck Norris, Steven Seagal's uh, fight sequences, or certainly did in the early movies. And um, he was pro Seagal, but otherwise, yeah, as you say, yeah, it's very proved very difficult. And I wasn't, I wasn't going in with an agenda of like, tell me all the stories of when Steven Seagal was terrible. It's just literally no one had anything good to say. Apparently, um, when he worked with Pam Grier on one of his first films, um, you know, she was going through a cancer scare in, in hospital, and apparently, he was one of the few people who came and visited her and she talked about that at the time so uh, that's the only real example of of any time i can find evidence of him doing anything nice for anyone but otherwise yeah he he certainly seems like quite a toxic human being by all accounts uh yeah i mean it's uh, it's it's interesting just uh because he is he's also the one who kind of comes across as so um uh it, like spiritualism was part of his his whole gag. He was like, uh, I'm the you know the Zen, uh, the Zen fighting Buddhist master, or whatever. And it just it, it's interesting to kind of hear these folks talk about him and what he's like in his you know what he's like in in real life. Um, Jacques Klein Van, Van Damme, on the other hand, uh, uh, people seem to, I mean you know I'm sure he has his own issues. Uh, he's had a few marriages, whatever. But uh, but he does uh, he comes off pretty well, I think. Folks seem to mostly, uh, mostly at least be amused by him, uh, if not, you know, um, not his the biggest fans in the world. Yeah, he's a peculiar man. I mean, they all are quite peculiar to different degrees. Um, Van Damme is maybe the most peculiar out of the eight people in the book and just constantly saying bizarre things and very entertaining to interview because you have no idea what, what is going to come out of his mouth. And, um, you know, I, when I interviewed him, he let slip that he'd had a mini affair with Carly Minogue while making Street Fighter that then kind of became a big story because no one, no one had known that and um, claimed to only sleep two hours a night or something like that. And just, just constantly saying absolutely bizarre things. Um, but has that, has that kind of genial nature and is very affable. And, and I think that kind of undercuts the machismo of these movies, all the testosterone and, you know, Schwarzenegger very wisely brought comedy into his films quite early on because when you don't you know it's the films that are completely self-serious out of this genre that haven't aged that well and um you know i was watching cobra the other night it has its supporters stallone's cobra but it takes itself so seriously that it's actually hilarious to watch because it's just so ludicrous well, I, I saw I, you tweeted out a, an amazing montage uh, yesterday, the, the day before. That was uh, for some reason there were robots involved. <laughs> I, I was, I was, I was trying. I couldn't. I lit. I mean, I've seen Cobra. I was like, God, what is that? What are the robots doing? Yeah, there? Well, this was this was Stallone's robot phase, I guess, because we had Rocky Four. I guess in the, I guess in the mid eighties, it was all about robots. Like he was into robots. I've I've not heard him talk about robots, but yeah, there's the scene in Cobra where he he and his um, partner cop partner are going around and um looking for <laughs> looking for clues in this rather strange montage and then it just cuts to bridget nielsen 
like sort of writhing around with robots in a kind of fashion photo shoot. It's very, very peculiar, but there's no sense that it's intended to be funny, which is what makes it hilarious. Um, yeah. But yeah, Van Damme, his movies are fun in a way that Seagal's aren't. So I, I think they, um, he's made a lot of bad films, but I, I'm a huge fan of like Hard Target, Sudden Death. You know, these are just sure. l- kind of deliberately ludicrous films that are, that are fun to watch. Yeah, yeah. Uh, when you were... Um here's i i have i do have one i have one complaint about this book uh and I, i'm very sorry to do this but i have to i have to bring it up here my my one complaint is that it is it's too short it needs to be longer i i wanted more on each of these guys were you were you worried uh when you were writing it just like well i i i want to do you know 50 more pages on jackie chan or like i i want to cover more of bruce willis's career here but he kind of like w- run out of time because he comes into this pretty late in the in the the story of these these guys i mean i i i'm just i i'm 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 a little tongue-in-cheek here but i would i i that that was my one feeling when i was done reading it. i was like ah, i want more i need more I yeah need more. do you have a sequel is there is there <laughs> you know yeah well i could have i could have definitely written more you know there are a ton of movies that i wish i could had got into uh cobra being one i think you could write a whole book on cobra uh hudson hawk you know there were there were a whole bunch and and bruce willis definitely i could have gone into a bit more it, i mean it came in at a hundred thousand words so it's it's actually slightly longer than my previous book but yeah as you say there's so much to pack in with these guys but um i guess i just wanted to keep it quite brisk and breezy and not not kind of outstay its welcome and i yeah. i kind of tried to you know, make it feel kind of in the spirit of those '80s action movies that move at a clip and they're not bloated and and two hours long like a lot of action movies are these days. You know, I, I'd love the John Wick films, but the last one was so long that I I was kind of checking my watch a little bit. And there's something there's something about the movies of this period that they none of them outstay their welcome really. Like they're all they all kind of move and then just get out of there. Um, yeah. So I hear your I hear your point. There could have been there could have been a lot more. I mean, you could write a five volume book series on Steven Seagal. I'd, I'd read it. Um, there's many stories I'm sure yet to be unearthed, but um, yeah, I, uh, I wanted to kind of bring it in before people got bored. That was last action heroes too. That's all I'm saying. I'm just going <laughs> to last, last action heroes. T- I'm trying to do the James Cameron dollar sign thing. I can't, you know, Rory got an S in it though. I can't, I can't do it this time. Uh, this time they're the last ones. We promise. Um, uh, I, the, the the one guy we haven't really talked very much about, uh, who again is 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 a main character here, is Jackie Chan. Now Jackie Chan, um, uh, again has a slightly different sensibility from some of these other guys in that he is almost a Buster Keaton like figure. He is a he is a guy who's doing his own stunts and and it's very frequently very funny. Um, uh, and you know, kind of uh, he sells the action um, himself, but he does it in a way that is that is again funny and in, in, in comic in a in a way that um arnold's one-liners are comic but he does it with his body what what was the what was the view of chan um by these guys who were in america and were either aware or unaware of his work i mean i'm i'm really curious how the rest of them um and folks in america at the time saw him because again this is you know we're, we're talking about the 80s here and he, i feel like he doesn't really burst onto the scene in america until rumble in the bronx right and that's 90 94 something like that yeah yeah the early 90s um he was really only known in america at you know before then by by people who really knew their stuff tarantino was championing him way before anyone else and actually out, out of these other seven action stars it was stallone 
who who uh, you know as I get into in the book was the one who really was into Jackie Chan stuff and got in touch with Jackie Chan and Jackie Chan was like is this the Stallone like he invited him to America so you know Jackie Chan was actually quite a late addition to the book he wasn't originally going to be in it because he's slightly different to the others he's not in America he's not in Hollywood he's doing his own thing in China um, but I'm I'm really glad that he came into it because I think he gives you something different and he's obviously an, a, an action titan and um, the structure is kind of his attempt to break into Hollywood. He has fr- two attempts that are unsuccessful and then Stallone kind of facilitates that third one, uh, which which um, which does work out. And obviously he then does the Rush Hour films and becomes a huge Hollywood star. But he really uh, took him a long time to get there. But th- like you said, he's um, he's different to the others. He's this kind of acrobat. He's a roly-poly acrobat. He's not afraid to make himself look ridiculous. There's a lot of very broad, silly comedy. Um, I recently watched the first three police, police stories at the Prince Charles Cinema here in London and um, An Amazing Night. But I'd forgotten. I always forget. You remember the big, big stunts, but you forget how much slapstick and... The first police story movie. There's there's all this extended comedy with his um, girlfriend, and you know he's getting whacked on the head, and um, it is like watching a Buster Keaton movie, and you don't get that with any of these other guys. Um, and then you add the fact that he was doing stuff for real, and there was something completely unique about him. Um, but yeah, it took America a long time to 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 kind of realize how great he was. That was that was everything I wanted to ask about the book. Uh, I, I, can we talk about? Empire just for a minute because I'm I I I am a, as a as a lover of magazines I love Empire and just like the idea of you know big glossy uh uh pop culture magazines how in terms of your how do you when you're when you're sitting down to plan out uh, a magazine first off how far ahead are you looking are you are you doing these three four months in advance what's the lead time on a on a new issue of Empire. Well, more than more than that. Uh, just before I, I came on this call, we were having a chat about something at the end of next year. So it's you have to be really far ahead because obviously these these movies are, um, you know, things are being shot now that you're not going to see for right. one, two, maybe even three years. So you're kind of having conversations about you know Avatar four before you've seen Avatar yeah. three. Um, but so no, we try and um, you know, obviously every issue is kind of invented on the fly. But definitely you're having conversations about covers, about interviews, about what we, what you can pull off and. Um, definitely found that the longer ahead you plan the better you know we managed to get a big indiana jones exclusive at the end of last year which i was as you know raiders is my favorite film so i was very happy that we got to you know put the cover out before the trailer had even come out so it was literally the first looks at the film but that was that was like a long time in the planning and uh, you need to start those conversations super early so um yeah it's a mixture of of forward planning and then just tearing your hair out and things going wrong (laughs) and it's always a mad scramble to press week but um yeah, we're we're still hanging in there. It's uh, you know, print magazines are becoming, you know, a dying breed. So we're we're doing our best to keep it going, and um, it's it's yeah. still exciting. It's tough. It's as as a as a refugee from the world of print magazines, I am uh, I am always happy to see one uh, thriving and Thank succeeding you. in this in this world. All right, so that, that that was pretty much everything I wanted to ask. Um, I always like to close these interviews by asking if there's anything I should ask. Like, what what do you think folks should know about? Uh, about your book, about the state of action movies in the 1980s or today or you know, Empire Magazine, I, anything you think uh, folks should know about? Huh. Um, that's a fantastic question. and I, I feel completely stumped by it. No, I just, uh, well, in terms of Empire, I would just ask that people check it out. I think sometimes people forget there are print magazines that are still going. You know, there's so much noise these days that we're, we're competing with podcasts and, mag- uh, and websites and 
you know, social media and everything there is. But, um, you know, please do check it out. It's um, it's available in the States. It's available as a digital edition. And we'd love people to check it out. Um, uh, in terms of the book... Um, no, not really. Um, I, can't, I don't know. That's a really good question. I don't know. What do I what, what do I think people should know about it? I think people should read it. That's what I that's what yeah. I think. That's fair. That's always a good that's always <laughs> a good suggestion with a book. Read it and then it watch no, Cobra. I, what and then then go watch Cobra. Is Cobra Cobra's got to be on Netflix or somewhere. It's got to be it's got to be available on streaming somewhere. Um, well, Nick, thank you very much for being on the show. I really appreciate it. Again, the name of the book uh, is The Last Action Heroes. Uh, you just search for it on Amazon. You'll find it. Barnes & Noble. It's uh, Google it, whatever. It's it's easy to uh, get. Um, and I I will will say that uh, one of the reasons we're having this call is because uh, a friend of mine read it and was like, you got to get you got to get him on the show. I was like, well, I'm, you know, I've already read it. It's it's good. And and I, all right, fine. I'll do it. I'll do it. Uh, so uh, so thank you for being on the show. You'll make him very happy. Well, thank you to to you and to your friend. I really appreciate it. And uh, yeah, if if anyone out there is reading it, um, I would love to know what films it inspires you to watch um, because there's a lot. Someone made a letterboxed uh, list of all the films mentioned in the book, and it's quite an eclectic bunch. Oh, there yeah. are some very bad films uh, mentioned. Some good some good ones as well. But um, yeah, if anyone ends up watching, uh, you know, Chuck Norris's Code of Silence or anything more obscure that I write about i'd love to love to hear it all right uh nick thanks for being on the show my name uh again is sunny bunch i'm culture editor at the bulwark uh, and i will be back next week with another episode we'll see you guys then. Mm-hmm.